0: Hello, this is R.J. Deacon, reading the Supreme Court of the United States opinion syllabus in Biden versus Texas, certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. Argued April 26, 2022. Decided June thirtieth, twenty 2022. If you'd like to support me in my journey to becoming a public defender or just like to support the podcast, you can find a PayPal link in the show notes, or you can get a hold of me at scholar 80 at gmail.com. That's R-O-A-D-S, like the truck driving roads. I used to be a truck driver. Or the number 80, like my birth year, 1980. In January 2019, the Department of Homeland Security began to implement the Migrant Protection Protocols, MPP. Under MPP, certain non-Mexican nationals arriving by land from Mexico were returned to Mexico to await the results of their removal proceedings under Section 1229A of the Immigration and Nationality Act, INA. MPP was implemented pursuant to a provision of the INA that applies to aliens arriving on land from a foreign territory contiguous to the United States and provides that the Secretary of Homeland Security may return the alien to that territory pending a proceeding under Section 1229A, That's 8 U.S.C. Section 1225, little B2, cap C. Following a change in presidential administrations, the Biden administration announced that it would suspend the program. And on June 1st, 2021, the Secretary of Homeland Security issued a memorandum officially terminating it. The states of Texas and Missouri respondents brought suit in the Northern District of Texas against the Secretary and others, asserting that the June 1 Memorandum violated the INA and the Administrative Procedure Act, APA. The district court entered judgment for respondents. The court first concluded that terminating MPP would violate the INA, reasoning that Section 1225 of the INA provides the government two options with respect to illegal entrance. Mandatory Detention Pursuant to Section 1225B2A, or Contiguous Territory Return Pursuant to Section 1225B2C. Because the government was unable to meet its mandatory detention obligations under Section 1225B2A due to resource constraints, the court reasoned terminating the MPP would necessarily lead to systemic violation of Section 1225 as illegal entrants were released into the United States. Second, the District Court concluded that the June 1st memorandum was arbitrary and capricious in violation of the APA. The District Court vacated the June 1st memorandum and remanded to the Department of Homeland Security. It also imposed a nationwide injunction ordering the government to enforce and implement MPP in good faith until such time as it has been lawfully rescinded in compliance with the APA, and until such time as the federal government has sufficient detention capacity to to detain all aliens subject to mandatory detention under Section 1225 without releasing any aliens because of lack of detention resources. While the government's appeal was pending, the Secretary released the October 29 memoranda which again announced the termination of MPP and explained anew his reasons for doing so. The government then moved to vacate the injunction on the grounds that the October 29 memoranda had suspended the June 1st memorandum, but the Court of Appeals denied the motion and instead affirmed the district court's judgment in full. With respect to the INA question, the Court of Appeals agreed with the district court's analysis that terminating the program would violate the INA concluding that the return policy was mandatory so long as illegal entrants were being released into the United States. The Court of Appeals also held that the October 29 memoranda did not constitute a new, separately reviewable, final agency action. The uh, Supreme Court held... Judgment is reversed and remanded, and uh, Chief Justice Roberts delivered the opinion of the court. The government's rescission of MPP did not violate Section 1225 of the INA, and the October 29 memoranda constituted final agency action, beginning with jurisdiction. The injunction that the district court entered in this case violated eight U.S.C. section twelve fifty two f one see Garland v. Ailman Gonzalez. But section twelve fifty two f one does not deprive this court of jurisdiction to reach the merits of an appeal, even where a lower court enters a form of relief barred by that provision. Section twelve fifty two f one withdraws a district court's jurisdiction or authority to grant a particular form of relief. It does not deprive lower courts of all subject matter jurisdiction over claims brought under Sections 1221 through 1232 of the INA. The text of the provision makes makes that clear. Section 1252F1 deprives courts of the power to issue a specific category of remedies, those that enjoin or restrain the operation of the relevant sections of the statute. And Congress included that language in a provision whose title, Limit on Injunctive Relief, makes clear the narrowness of its scope. Moreover, the provision contains a parenthetical that explicitly preserves this court's power to enter injunctive injunctive relief if section 1252f1 deprive lower courts of subject matter jurisdiction to adjudicate any non-individual claims under sections 1221 through 1232 no such claims could ever arrive at this court rendering the specific carve out for supreme court injunctive relief nugatory statutory structure likewise confirms this conclusion Elsewhere in Section 1252, where Congress intended to deny subject matter jurisdiction over a particular class of claims, it did so unambiguously. See, for example, Section 1252A2, entitled Matters Not Subject to Judicial Review. Finally, this court previously encountered a virtually identical situation in Nielsen v. Priap and proceeded to reach the merits of the suit, notwithstanding the District Court's apparent violation of Section 1252F1. Turning to the merits, Section 1225B2C provides in the case of an alien who is arriving on land from a foreign territory contiguous to the United States, the Secretary may return the alien to that territory pending a proceeding under Section 1229A. Section 1225B2C plainly confers a discretionary authority to return aliens to Mexico. This court has repeatedly observed that the word may clearly connotates discretion. See Patti versus Republic of Sudan. Respondents and the Court of Appeals conclude that point, uh, sorry, respondents and the Court of Appeals concede that point, but urge an inference from the statutory structure. Because Section 1225B2A makes detention mandatory, they argue, otherwise discretionary return authority in this Section 1225B2C becomes mandatory when the Secretary violates that mandate. The problem is that the statute does not say anything like that. The statute says may. If Congress had intended Section 1225B2C to operate as a mandatory cure of any non-compliance with the government's detention obligations, it would not have conveyed that intention through an unspoken inference in conflict with the unambiguous express term may. The contiguous territory return authority in this section, 1225b2c, is discretionary and remains discretionary notwithstanding any violation of section 1225b2a. The historical context in which Section 1225B2C was adopted confirms the plain import of this text. Section 1225B2C was added to the statute more than 90 years after the the shall-be-detained language that appears in Section 1225B2A. The provision was enacted in response to a BIA decision that had questioned the legality of the contiguous territory return practice. Moreover, since its enactment, every presidential administration has interpreted Section 1225B2C as purely discretionary, notwithstanding the consistent shortfall of funds to comply with Section 1225B2A. The foreign affairs consequence of mandating the exercise of contiguous territory return likewise confirm that the Court of Appeals erred. Interpreting Section 1225 B2C as a mandate imposes a significant burden upon the executive's ability to conduct diplomatic relations with Mexico, one that Congress likely did not intend Section 1225 B2C to impose. And finally, the availability of parole as an alternative means of processing applicants for admission, C-8 U.S.C. Section 1182 D-5A, Additionally, makes clear that the Court of Appeals erred in holding that the INA required the government to continue implementing MPP. The Court of Appeals also erred in holding that the October 29 memoranda did not constitute a new, separately reviewable, final agency action. Once the District Court vacated the June 1 memorandum and remanded to DHS for further consideration, DHS had two options elaborate on its original reasons for taking action, or deal with the problem afresh by taking new agency action. See Department of Homeland Security versus Regents of University of California. The Secretary selected the second option from Regents. He accepted the district court's vacator and dealt with the problem afresh. The October 29 memoranda were therefore final agency action for the same reason that the June 1st memoranda was final agency action both marked the consummation of the agency's decision-making process and resulted in rights and obligations being determined. See Bennett v. Speer. The various rationales offered by respondents and the Court of Appeals in support of the contrary conclusion lack merit. First, the Court of Appeals erred to the extent that it understood itself to be reviewing an abstract decision apart from the specific agency actions contained in the June 1st Memorandum, and on October 29th, and October 29th memoranda. Second and relatedly, the October twenty nine memoranda were not a mere post hoc rationalization of the June 1st memorandum. The prohibition on post hoc rationalization applies only when the agency proceeds by the first option from Regents. Here, the Secretary chose the second option from Regents and issued a new rescission bolstered by new reasons Absent from the June 1st memorandum. Having returned to the drawing table, the Secretary was not subject to the charge of post hoc rationalization. Third, respondents invoked Department of Commerce versus New York, but nothing in this record suggests that a significant mismatch between the decision the Secretary made and the rationale he provided. Relatedly, the Court of Appeals charged that the secretary failed to proceed with a sufficiently open mind, but this court has previously rejected criticisms of agency closed-mindedness based on an identity between proposed and final agency action. Uh, see Little Sisters of the Poor, Saints Peter and Paul Home v. Pennsylvania. Finally, the Court of Appeals erred to the extent it viewed the government's decision to appeal the district court's injunction as relevant to the question of the October 29 memoranda's status as final agency action. Nothing prevents an agency from undertaking new agency action while simultaneously appealing an adverse judgment against its original action. The decision below is reversed and remanded. Chief Justice Roberts delivered the opinion of the court in which Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Kavanaugh joined. Justice Kavanaugh filed a concurring opinion. Justice Alito filed a dissenting opinion in which Justices Thomas and Gorsuch joined. Justice Barrett filed a dissenting opinion in which Justices Thomas, Alito, and Gorsuch joined. To all as but the first sentence um, that makes me curious i'm just gonna go find the first sentence the uh aforementioned first sentence is i agree with the court's analysis of the merits but not with its decision to reach them uh and uh, so anyway y'all can uh sponsor the podcast by uh finding the paypal link on show notes in the show notes um or get a hold of me at roadscholar80 at gmail.com thanks We'll be recording some more.